book of Matthew once again. And also, folks, I want to say thank you for how good you've been to my wife and I. Uh, for the wonderful gift for Passion Appreciation Month and for the birthday party that you threw for my wife, Tori. Ladies, thank you. I think she was legitimately surprised, and that was, and that was good. It was neat for me just seeing her kind of, you know, I was glad I got to be here for it. So anyway, thank you for all that you've done for us. And if you uh, recall, of course, we took a little bit of a break last Sunday, uh, but the Sunday prior to that, so two Sundays ago, we were continuing on in Matthew chapter number 5, in our series that we have called Kingdom Living. And not that we are in the kingdom currently, but such as to say that we should live like it. Man, as members of God's kingdom, we ought to be presenting the things of that kingdom to the world. Now, he went through the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are things that we see, I guess, ways that we should act, attributes about us that we should take on. Hey, we ought to be, we ought to be humble, uh, humble. Uh, we ought to be merciful. There are things that we ought to mourn over. Blessed are the mourn, or they that mourn. There are th things that we should have about us as Christians. Now, at the end of all that, we, he talked about the Pharisees there for a very brief minute. I'm going to read that verse, and then we're going to go into something today talking about righteousness. So let's go to Matthew chapter number 5, and we're going to read verses number... Um, Let's read verse number 17. We'll start here, and then we'll go in, we'll read on into where our verse picks up today. So Christ said this at the end of his, sort of his beatitude sermon. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Ladies and gentlemen, what we said here is that Jesus Christ never, ever, ever came to destroy the law. He did not come to show us that the law was wrong. In fact, he lived in every point by the law. And I, I mentioned this two weeks ago, and I want to mention it again. There is a popular thought today that, that, I have, that, I, that I take very much issue with. There is this idea that Jesus came to... I'm trying to think of the best word. The word that I have heard used is that Jesus was an iconoclast, but we don't... That's not a word we use in everyday speech. What that word means is Jesus came to show people that the law was something that they didn't have to listen to or that the law was too hard or that the law was a bad thing and Jesus actually went against the grain with the law. Folks, my Bible says that Jesus followed the law in every point. Like he obeyed it to the T. He says he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. There are even those today that would preach, and this is the word, I've actually heard it, in, uh, or read it, rather, in the lyrics to a modern uh, song. It's supposed to be a Christian-oriented song, but this is what it says. There is a lyric in this song, there's a line that says that Jesus was a rebel. And I look at that, and I go back to the book of Isaiah, and I think it's chapter number 40. It says that rebellion is, is a sin of witchcraft. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus wasn't a rebel. He, he was never a rebel. The simple act of rebellion is a sin. So, what was Jesus? I'll tell you what he did do. He upset the Pharisees. But the Pharisees were the ones that were in issue, not Christ. Because the Pharisees had added more laws and more restrictions than Jesus Christ ever did. So when Christ stuck by his true word, and then he did not abide by their extra stuff, yeah, it made them upset. But that wasn't rebellion. That was Jesus being right where he was need to. The Pharisees were self-righteous. There's a difference there, and I think we need to make that distinction. So never, ever let anyone tell you 
oh, that Jesus was a rebel. He came to go against the law and to disrupt the established order. No, he fulfilled the law. The Bible says it right here. So we'll continue on. This is something that Jesus did do, though. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Jesus didn't do that. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Man, he obeyed every one of them. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. By the way, real quick nugget with this. If, if you understand this statement, it was Jesus coming and fulfilling the law that established the way for the new covenant to come. The old covenant had to be fulfilled before the new covenant came to pass. And so this was a time that Jesus, by living it out, he fulfilled everything, making the way for him to die on the cross and give us uh, this, this salvation. So uh, interesting thing there, a lot of stuff with that. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Verse number 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, and here's where we start. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And that was our problem verse two weeks ago. We talked a little bit more about the Pharisees and where their problem was. And we talked about self-righteousness. Man, there are Christians that fall into this trap. They see themselves as righteous because, hey man, I obey all the rules. I, I do everything I'm supposed to. I, I don't just obey the rules. Man, I put more rules on top of the rules and I obey those things. Look how righteous I am. And what happens is the world, those that are lost, they look at us as a bunch of rule makers and rule followers and thusly self-righteous. Sometimes they have grounds to stand on with that because that's what the trap that the Pharisees fell into. So we talked about how we should not be self-righteousness. We we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We're not righteous because of what we do with our hands. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Righteousness is of the heart, not your hands. Righteousness is of the heart and not your hands. Now, if a person is righteous, will that come out in their hands? Sure, but that's not legitimate righteousness. This is what's in the heart. And Jesus goes into that. So now he's saying, and he's telling his disciples, disciples, you have to be more righteous than even the Pharisees. And they're like, oh my goodness, how do I do that? Because they've got all their rules and man, they follow them. How am I better than they are? Because Jesus is going to show them what true righteousness looks like. So we're going to take some time and we're going to go through this. And I'm going to show you how righteousness comes from within and then that spills out into what happens with your hands. Let's look at Jesus' teaching. Verse number 20 again. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Hey, we're not going to go there, but Exodus chapter number 20, thou shalt not kill. That's part of the law, man. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill. That's true. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. That's true. But I say unto you, oh, so now Jesus is going to give us something different. By the way, just because it's different doesn't mean the first part was wrong. Okay, let's continue on. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause 
By the way, I underline that in my Bible, without cause. Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Wow. All right, so we've already talked about, and we talked about this, I think, a couple months ago, when we were going through biblical worldviews. We talked about capital punishment. I believe the Bible gives, tells us that capital punishment is a good thing, or the right thing, I guess we should say. So we look at this and we say, all right, how am I supposed to reconcile murder with anger? The letter of the law says you do not kill. By the way, that's, that's murder. We know that killing in and of itself, just simply killing is not always wrong, but murder is. So we know that murder is wrong. And if a person murders someone, they should stand before the count. They should stand in a place of judgment. They need to be judged and they need to be tried for their sin. Got it. That's the letter of the law. Murder is what you do with your hands. Jesus says, let's take a look at what's going on in the heart. Okay? That's why he says, you've heard it hath been said, if you kill someone, you should be guilty of the judgment. But I'm going to say to you this. If you are angry without cause, you have murdered him in your heart already. Why? Because the essence of what anger is, is what brings to fruition the murder. Typically, if someone is going to, and I realize there's a lot of motives for murder, but in this case, we're talking about someone that is angry with someone else, and they're so angry, it brings them to the point where they would murder that something, think, that person. Think Cain and Abel. Man, Cain was just so upset that God denied his gift, and he listened to, or was respectful to Abel's gift. So out of that anger, the Bible says that he slew his brother Abel. Now, whether he actually threw the stone or not, his heart was already there. Now, we know he did cast the stone or the club, whatever it is he used. Boy, his heart was there. So what Jesus is getting at is this. Don't get so hung up on the letter of the law and miss the spirit of the law. Because sometimes even the spirit of the law is harder than the letter. That's what true righteousness is. And boy, we're going to take some time on this, folks, and take a look at our hearts so I ask us this question, really, as we jump into this first one. We're going to look at all the things individually as we go through it. Do we have, or do we rather harbor, entertain, maybe is a better word, do we entertain anger in our hearts? And, th and this is what we do. This is what we do. We'll, we'll, we'll have something happen at work. We'll have something happen at the grocery store. Or we'll get into some kind of a, 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 a spat with our spouse or something. And then we'll go into the next room. And maybe this is more of a guy thing. Guys like to walk away from arguments. We'll, we'll walk away and we'll be in the heat of this argument. And then we'll just be sitting there. We'll just be stewing in our anger and our frustration. And we will allow that anger to overtake us and just to marinate. Now, we could say, looking at the letter of the law, oh, well, I didn't kill that person. You know, I didn't hurt him. I didn't, I didn't punch him. I didn't even say anything I shouldn't have said. I even kept my tongue straight. Okay, yeah, but your heart's still in the same place. Whether you did it, whether you didn't, your heart's still there. I mean, it's almost like where your heart is, you might as well have. See, it's the same attitude. It just has not come to fruition, folks. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You can't, you can't take heart matters and put them into a judicial law. 
It, it just doesn't work that way. That would almost be like saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to write a law tomorrow, and this law, we're going to put this into Montana's law book. And, man, if anyone breaks this law, we're going to put them under arrest. We're going to arrest you if you get jealous. Like, okay, how, how are you going to prove that, you know? Could you imagine being in that courtroom? Oh, Your Honor, we've charged this guy with jealousy. Okay, where's your evidence? Uh, he, he looked at that guy's fishing boat too long. He looked at it for more than five minutes. He must be jealous. You know, <laughs> you, you can't prove that. That's why we have to police ourselves on these things. We can write a law for murder. We cannot write a law for anger. And that's what Christ wants us to do. We need to look at our hearts. So I'm going to take a little bit of time. We're going to talk about what the law says. I've got three questions I'm going to ask, and it's going to, it's going to put these into practice. So first question is this. What does the law say? Very simply, murder is sin. And it says murder is sin. We know that. Murder is what happens with the hands. The law deals with justice. So when we look at the Bible, and really when we look at anything, especially what Jesus was doing, they were still under the judicial system of the Old Testament law. So everything Jesus is going to be saying over the next little bit does not mean that the law was necessarily wrong. He's just showing you how we really ought to act that out. So I would say today, and we're going to get to this one in a little bit, uh, not today. Man, you have the scripture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Man, don't, don't we say that all the time? Oh, well, you know, an eye for an eye. You, you kick me, I'm going to kick you back, that kind of thing. That's the way we think. We're going to get to that scripture. That's a law. So we still abide by the actual letters of what's here in the scripture. But my next question was also going to be this. We know what the law says, but we have to ask what righteousness says. So I'm going to take a few minutes, and we're going to unpack this thing of anger. I'm also going to go ahead and tell you this. I have done you guys a disservice sometimes talking about anger. Many times I have used anger as an illustration for sin. For some of you, I might be getting ready to turn your world upside down. Did you know that anger in and of itself is not sin? Here's, I'm going to prove it to you, okay? I actually know a guy. I can't remember if it was a book or a sermon, but this is some stuff that he put together. And he entitled this God's Gift of Anger. And the first time I heard it, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then when I started to hear him out, boy, if he wasn't right. Ladies and gentlemen, God himself got angry. When you go to the Old Testament, you see God in his wrath being poured out on sin. God was angry towards sin. So, and then you ask yourself, huh, is God capable of sin? Well, no. Well, that means anger in its proper place is not sin. That's the only conclusion that you can come to. So then I look at this scripture. Look what it says. Let's, let's read it here again. Verse, uh, verse number 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Ah, okay. There it is. He's angry without a cause. Folks, can I tell you there is a time that you should be angry? I remember this would have been 2000, 2016, I think is what it was. 2015, 2016. And I've, I've shared this with some of you before, but it's been a while, so... Um, about that time period, there, there was about a, a span of a year within those two years where there was a lot of things that happened in, in my family's life. And I went through a spell where I had some legitimate anger. And when I say legitimate, it was righteous anger. It was a good thing. And let me explain it to you. I remember within that time period, uh, 
my my uncle, he was he was already having a lot of problems. And when I say problems, spiritual problems, health problems, the whole nine yards. Um, he had lost his son to a tragic accident not too many years prior to this. And he was drowning in his sorrows. And so my uncle and another man were, um, were up in the mountains, and, and they were just getting overly intoxicated, trying to drown their sorrows. The other man was driving, and they were driving back home, so they were DUI. And they crashed the pickup on the way back home. My uncle was the passenger, and my uncle died in that drunk driving car crash. And, and I remember that hurt. And it wasn't that I was so much angry at my uncle or necessarily even angry at the other driver, but I was angry at what sin had manifest in his life and what sin had done to my family. It was a few months later. I don't even think it was a year later. I had another cousin. She was 21. And she was someone who had struggled with uh, drugs for a very long time. I mean, narcotics, heroin, all that stuff. And th- there for a few months, she had, she had left her friends, she had got away from it, she went to a, uh, to a rehabilitation facility, which I don't even like necessarily using that term, because it was all scriptural based. It was actually a home at a church where she, was, she, she got to go to and hear scriptural and biblical teaching daily. And by the way, she also trusted Christ during that time, so praise the Lord for that. When she left that home, she came back to our hometown. This is just a few months later after my uncle. Um, she hooked up with some old friends. And she took another dose of heroin, and it took her life. And I remember going to her funeral just a few months after my own uncle. And I remember then again, I was angry at what sin had done to my family. And then I found out a few months later uh, that I have another cousin. He was a guy that was just a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. Someone that had a athletic and educational scholarship to a good school he was studying to be an engineer, and he was also studying to be a math teacher and all these things. And to his testament, he told me this. Um, you know, he lost his scholarship, and he lost all of his education because he, in his words, he, he, he ruined his mind with drug use, and he wasn't able to think the way that he could, and he couldn't finish school. And, and I remember being angry, and not at him, but at sin. Um, that cousin, by the way, now has, has also recently passed away, but other health stuff, it wasn't that. And I remember thinking to myself and seeing all the destruction that sin brings with it. That brought anger into my heart. And I remember thinking to myself, this is an anger that also God would be angry with. God is angry towards sin. God is angry toward destruction. God is angry at the works of Satan in this earth. And it is right and it is just for me, likewise, to have the same kind of anger he is displaying. So anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Can I, can I give you something else, too? This is probably going to be more for my men in here now. There is also a time where I would suggest that you learn to access your anger. Um, and I, I don't want to get too far off into this because we're, I don't want to stray too far away from the Bible. Um, if there is ever a moment where you are having to defend yourself or to defend your family, you ought not to have a benevolent attitude towards a person that's trying to hurt your family. That there is an essence at which a righteous type of anger that is within you can protect you and can help you in a stressful situation like that. So, so we look at some of these guys. They come back. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. Some of you know that I read and I listen to, to Jordan Peterson, some of the stuff that he's talked about. And he goes over what goes on in some men that are coming back and experiencing post-traumatic stress. 
a vast majority of the men that are going through that, to his, to his claim, these men aren't experiencing these, these, these stressful reactions because of what they have seen, but because of what they have done. And he says many times men will go to a place and they will see something inside of them that they have never seen before and they don't know how to address it. They don't know how to control it. Now, I will say this. I think that's the line between us controlling our anger and our anger controlling us. That's the difference. You see, anger is something that God gave us, and when we use it appropriately, it is a good thing. It can help you have a right attitude towards sin. It can have you help you have a right attitude towards evil things. It can help you have a right attitude towards someone that is trying to harm you. Those are good things. Now, if I have anger without cause, and that turns into rage, now I've crossed over into sin. Now I am living riotously is a word that the Bible used. So let's look at the scripture again. All that side note to come back here. If you are angry at your brother without cause, you shall be in danger of the judgment. First, the guy that murders in danger was the judgment. But now he says, if you're angry without cause, man, you're going to be judged for that. So what are some ways that I would be angry that I wouldn't have a just reason to be angry about? Um, huh, funny thing. Because, because I think in the terms of kids. You know, we see the Bible so much in our kids. And I always swore I'd never be one of those pastors that talked about his kids all the time. Now, now I'm one of them. But, but you see it in children when you're sitting around the, the, the supper table or we're sitting around something. And then here it comes down to the very last piece of popcorn, right? Or just some kind of treat. And then one brother reaches in and grabs it before the other one. Hey! You know, the next thing you know, they're all fighting and squabbling over something as silly as a piece of candy. What's going on? Anger without cause. What if it's the kind of thing where someone even just, maybe they're gossiping about you. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? Oh, no, no, I can't believe they would say that about me. And now you're starting to well up, and you've got bitterness and anger towards someone else's words. You know, the Bible says, yeah, we can probably be angry about the sin itself, but we'd be angry at that person without cause. The Bible says that I'm supposed to forgive. Even as the victim, I am supposed to forgive over those things. And I get it. That is a tall order to fill. We're going to get more into that later on. But for now, I want us to think about the times when we get angry and we experience such rage and anger for no reason at all. You ever seen somebody driving and then, you know, a slow poke pulls out in front of you on the exit and then they maybe slam on their brakes real hard and somebody starts screaming at the windshield? I know no one ever does that. <laughs> How easy is it to get frustrated over things that don't even matter. How easy is it for us to lose our cool over a 10-second delay? You know, I can't believe this happened. Can you believe and that, that, that I've now got a scratch on my pickup from that tree limb? Oh, you know, something simple. I, I, I heard the story once of a guy. He, was, uh, he bought a brand-new pickup. And, th and again, this is him telling the story. He bought this brand new pickup. Man, he was so excited about his pickup. And he was always wanting to go out and wash it and polish it and this kind of stuff. And he bought all this stuff. And here he is with one of those little gloves, you know, that you put on, you kind of wash your car with. And here he is washing, and he's, he's just so excited. He's wanting to polish it and make it look good. And as he takes one big swipe across it, he didn't realize that there was a hole in the brush, and his ring was poking through the hole. And he put this massive scratch from his ring down the side of his brand new pickup. And he talked to his credit just about how he raged and was angry over the paint on a pickup truck. 
Now let me ask you, would God be angry about that? Probably not. Would God be angry about the 10-second loss of time on the expressway because somebody slowed down in front of you? Probably not. Now, we think it's okay for us to be angry over things, but what we need to do is in every one of these situations, we need to stop and ask, would God be angry at this? And if he would, hey, then, then you're right on track. That's also where you need to be. But if it's something that God would not be angry at, and in fact, he would probably even forgive, now we find ourselves in the wrong. And oh, that's a tough place to go. Because when our emotions begin to overtake us, it's very hard for me to say, whoa, okay, slow down, hit the brakes. This is what I tell people whenever I talk about emotions. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot let emotion be the driving force of our words, of our actions, of, of the way that we think. We need to be in control of those. So take, for example, anger. I tell, I, I tell fighters this. You know, men, men that very, very likely may have to access that anger for the sake of their own self-preservation. I say that anger is like a switch. You need to be able to turn that switch on and turn that switch off. And likewise, you need to always have your hand on that switch and be in control of it. But the problem is, most of the time, we're hands off with that and we just let it flip whenever we want it to. And man, what we have done is we have allowed the very essence of what could turn into a murderous rage well up within us. The murder we can see, the anger we can't. So how many of us walk around with anger? The very thing that could come to fruition and even murder that we just, no, oh, we dwell with it. Yeah, yeah, I've got a temper. Yeah, and sometimes I'm just a little bit of a hothead. Ah, well, you know, I'm just one of those guys, my fuse is too short. Okay, fine, let's not make excuses for that. Let's ask God to help us with that. Because we cross into sin when we are angry without a cause. Let's continue on. Let's talk about just how much God actually takes this. He actually even goes beyond just the anger. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Hey, man, we can, we can put that one in the judicial system. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Man, got it. We can judge somebody that murders. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Man, even angry. That means we're going to be answering to God for our anger. Now he even goes a little bit lower. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, we'll talk about that, shall be in danger of the council. Raka at this time in this particular language is not a word we use anymore, but it was an insult. It was something where if you wanted to really lash out with someone and insult them with your words, that's what's going on right there. Just like even if you were someone that is now insulting someone, it might not even be unchecked rage. Yeah, you're, just, you're just snidely insulting this person. You're going to be in, in, have to go to the council, even that. And then he even goes one step lower. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Like, wow. You're telling me even if I do something as simple as saying, man, you're a fool. That God can judge me for that. That is a, that is a sin worthy of hell. According to scriptures, yeah. Now, bear in mind. You have to plug this part in. You do not go to sin. Or you do not go to hell based off of having one particular sin. Oh, man, you check that box. Boom, you're doomed. That's not how that works. All sin can be forgiven. 
That, there, that is how God works. When he died on the cross, he shed his blood, he covers your sin. However, this point of being in danger of hellfire, that's just going to show that calling someone a fool in and of itself. Being to that place where you can look at another person in the eye and say, you're a fool. It's of the same essence. You're now being derogatory towards someone. You are now talking down to someone. What does the Bible say that we should do? Well, in Sunday school, we talked about this. We're supposed to check our words. We're supposed to speak words that build people up. We're supposed to speak words that, that show love. And we're supposed to edify one another. And my tongue should be used for things that are good, that help people and help carry people closer to Christ. But when I'm a person that's using my tongue for anger and I'm saying, oh, you fool, and there's I'm lashing out and I'm angry without a cause. Sin. So ladies and gentlemen, we're taking a look at these things and we're trying to figure out what is true righteousness? And I'm going to come full circle with this. We probably need to be done a few minutes early. We need to learn that true righteousness is not just obeying the rules. And hey, even on top of the rules, I've got extra rules on top of extra rules, and I follow those rules. Look at how righteous I am. No. That's what Jesus came to say against. Because yes, there are rules, and yes, those rules are good things, and yes, they're there for a place. God is trying to get down in your heart. So yeah, you could probably look at the law and say, huh, I'm a pretty good person because I've never done such and such. Okay. What about your heart say? Did your heart ever come to the place where you've been angry with them? Did your heart ever get to the place where you wish you could have lashed out at him? You might not have even done it, but do you wish you would have? Do you, do you wish you could have, man, just put that person in their place? Ladies and gentlemen, over these next few verses, we're going to let God get at our heart as we continue on through this chapter. We're going to let God expose not our sin through our hands, but our sin through our heart. And what I want us as God's people, as we are exposing the kingdom to the people around us, we want to have a change of our heart, not just a change of our hands. So all that to say, this is kind of the title of our message and our lesson today. True righteousness is of the heart. It's not of your hands. Now, when I have a right heart, I'm not going to go so far as to murder because my heart's right. So yes, the, the hand part's good, but righteousness stems from what's inside. So we're going to take a couple minutes, and I'm going to ask us this question. I'm going to ask us to have every head bowed and every eye closed. And we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us with this. And I'm also going to give us time to be able to do business with the Lord. And I want to be very clear with these. Is there any area in your heart or maybe in your life right now where you'd say, I struggle with this anger? I struggle with, man, allowing God to, to take control. Our Father in heaven, we want to come to you today. We want to ask you for your help. Lord, you've showed us very clearly that there are things that, there are things that we should do things we shouldn't do. There are laws that are in place, but Lord, righteousness goes so much farther than the law. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, help us to follow the heart of the matter, not just, not just what we see in the letters. So folks, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is going to be your moment to be able to do business with the Lord. Uh, the piano is going to softly play here in the background. And I just want you to take this time to ask yourself, who am I angry with? 
What situation am I angry with? And then ask yourself, is God also angry at this? Is this a situation where my anger is just? And if it's not, boy, let's ask God to help us. You know, sometimes it's so easy to let our emotions take control. And even in today's culture, we preach and teach, oh, just do what you feel. Just do what you feel. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not for us to do what we feel. It's for us to do what's right. Our God, we thank you for being so good to us, for loving us, for dying on the cross for us. And Lord, even that you have already paid the debt for our sin of anger. Lord, even though our debt's already paid, that doesn't give us an excuse to sin. So I pray that you would help us to keep our hearts and minds in check. Maybe we'll never act out things with our hands. Oh, but Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. May we have hearts that are full of peace and full of love. And Lord, in doing so, I pray you'd help us to obey you in this matter. Lord, we love you. Go with us this week. May we keep these things in check. May we honor you in this next service as well and ask that you once again speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, folks, I, uh, I hope this has been a blessing to you. We're actually already a few minutes early, which is just fine. So what we'll do then is we'll just keep it as we normally do. We'll take about a 15, 20-minute break, and we'll start at uh, 10 after, instead of 20 after. So we'll even be 10 minutes ahead of schedule, probably even get out of here before noon. But I will tell you what we're going over today, and I think this will be something that's interesting to you. Um, since we've been talking about the church and why we do church the way that we do church, um, today I'm going to talk about why, uh, at least here at Bible Baptist Church, a lot of people don't do this, why we bring things to a vote and why we have, um, why we do things procedurally the way we do. Because, because the Bible never shows that a pastor was supposed to be a dictator and just say, hey, this is what we're going to do. No, we're going to talk about what's called congregation rule in the Bible. I'm going to show you how that's in there, and that's why we do things the way we do it, which is also kind of what leads into a little bit of church membership and how you can be a part of that. So I think it'll be an interesting study for you. So we'll have a break. Give us about 15, 20 minutes, and we'll be back. All right. Love you guys. We're dismissed.